Dominus Fabiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Lucam. Jesus said to the apostles, Who among you would say to your servant, who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here immediately and take your place at table? Would he not rather say to him, Prepare something for me to eat. Put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink. You may eat and drink when I am finished. Is he grateful to that servant because he did what was commanded? So it should be with you. When you have done all you have been commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what we were obliged to do. Verbum Domini. We have these beautiful readings from the Book of Wisdom. And my understanding is wisdom is written very late in the Old Testament, like I think the second century BC. There's a large diaspora, you know, the Jews are spread out in the known world and, and this is uh, influenced by Greek culture. I remember Alexander the Great had conquered the known world and set up his generals and we had the persecution from these descendants of these Greek ger uh, generals. In the Book of Maccabees we've, been, we've had, we've heard from on Sunday, but there's also a strong influence of Greek thought, and I think some of this is to explain to a Greek, you know, to Greek influence, you know, what, what, you know, what the God of Israel is like, you know, to answer some of their questions and maybe to, to defend the faith. And so I think that pressure really produced some beautiful passages here in wisdom that in one sense seems reads so modern like in a modern form, the way we'd put it today. And, and just the first couple sentences, God formed man to be imperishable, the image of his own nature he made him. That we're destined for God, we need to, we're spiritual and corporal beings, we have a, a spiritual nature that, needs, that can only be satisfied by God, that can only be, you know, is destined to live with him for all eternity in a relationship, right? If you have a spiritual nature, you have an intellect and a will, we're personal beings, we're made for a relationship that can only be satisfied, you know, by satisfying those intellectual and, uh, you know, those parts of our, our soul that we are to know and to love. And that's at the essence of it, that God fulfills that. If we don't find that in our life and just try to live by the material, it's not enough. You know, we wind up being miserable and not flourishing as we're called to. So we come from God, made in his image and likeness, and we're destined for God. 
That's our great dignity, that we are called to belong to him in this world and in the next. And this speaks of our great dignity, the great dignity of all human life, and why we defend life, even the unborn, you know, because they are made in this, this great dignity and calling. <clears throat> then we're told, but by the envy of the devil, death entered the world. <clears throat> that, you know, it's the church fathers, some believe that it was revealed to God, revealed to the devil, God's plan about the incarnation that God would take on human flesh in Jesus. And this was too much for the devil, you know, that he envied man that we have this great dignity. Now, he's a pure spiritual being, so he's of a higher order. You know, he was in the heavenly throne room beholding God in relationship with him. But, you know, in his pride, wanted to be number one, would not bow down before material flesh in the incarnation. Some of the church fathers believe that that he was envious of us because the second person in Trinity would take on human flesh. And so that's pretty good, you know, for us that if, if Satan could look at our condition and state and envy us, this higher order of being, intellect, you know, angelic intellect and will. But the souls of the just are in the hand of God and no torment shall touch them. Certainly, speaking of eternal life, but I think also in this life, you know, staying in a state of grace, staying in relationship with God, practicing our faith, our religion, we are protected. And I'm convinced that we are our own worst enemies. You know, that is what truly threatens us. I mean, things can happen to us, we can have different sufferings, but that isn't and of itself, threatening our relationship with God, our eternal life, our belonging to him. So that's what the scripture is telling us, that the just are in the hand of God, that he won't let us go. Now I can choose to walk away, I can choose to refuse that relationship, that transformation, but God is always there and he's holding us and nothing can harm us. And he speaks of the dead, you know, looked upon by the eyes of the world as foolish, you know, the believer, that they're in dis destruction. But wisdom tells us they are in peace, those who have died, is what they're saying. For if before men indeed they be punished, yet is their hope full of immortality. Chastised a little, they shall be greatly blessed, because God tried them and found them worthy of himself. As gold in the furnace, he proved them, and as sacrificial offerings, he took them to himself. Chastised a little, they will shall be greatly blessed. Now the sufferings of this world, the trials that we have, are short in relation to eternal life, the fullness of what God wants to give us. St. Paul in 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, he puts it this way, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, 
because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God grants us perseverance, strengthens us to uphold us in trial, that if we cling to him, if we turn to him in faith, he will see us through, we'll persevere. Saturday I went to a funeral. One of the employees who works, he's head of the yard crew, Roderick, he's a devout Baptist and he's uh, been very active in his church and um, I've been to his church before, it's in Fairfield. It's a Baptist church and uh, was there with some, some other employees. And I was uh, looking to, to go and greet him and give him my condolences and get back. We had confessions going on, Father Joseph had that. Usually we have two people. But I got caught up in it, you know, I couldn't tear myself away. They sang some really lively music, you know, African-American Baptist style. And I said, well, I'll leave after this next song, or after this next song. <laughs> they had like three pastors there. One gave this very powerful prayer over the people, over the family. And then the pastor got up. And I said, well, I've heard him before. I'm, I'm going to leave. Couldn't leave. And he starts talking about this passage, about how their struggle but God, you know, their theology that God, they're, they're already saved. But I think it was a similarity to us that, you know, we have this relationship with God, we have an assurance of salvation through faith, that God's not going to let us fall. And he said, this struggle is present, doesn't take that away, but we have this hope of eternal life and that God is with us in the struggle. And what caught me that he was, he was going through a different litany of different struggles that we have in a real colorful way. But then he said something that really struck me. He said, don't act like you don't, act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know, the struggle. And I thought, yeah, there's, there's even, he started touching upon a deeper struggle that we might have. It might be despair. It might be lack of faith might not be stuff we want to mention in our life, our own personal journey and walk that might seriously cause us to lose heart and that really produces anguish in our life. And I, it struck me because, yeah, there's some things maybe we don't share with others as much that's a very deep inner struggle. But he's saying even with that, you know, God is there in our life. He gives us hope. And that's what wisdom's saying, that those who trust in him shall understand truth, and the faithful shall abide with him in love. Because if you tell me that, okay, you go through these struggles, trials, purifications, you have hope of eternal life, that's not enough. It should be, I guess, but it's not enough for me. <laughs> it's like, the faithful shall abide with him in love that we need his presence now in our life to get through that struggle, you know, to be strengthened, that we're not crushed, that we're not perplexed, they're not despair, as St. Paul said. He's the one that sustains us, and that blessed heavenly life, that relationship, the fullness, 
we're called to in heaven, where there is no more struggle, there is no more sin. We see him, behold him, can love him fully without being held back by sin, selfishness, weakness. You know, that begins now. Now, it's not in a fullness now, but that I can truly rely on him, turn to him, and be fulfilled by him in this life, in that struggle. And wisdom, the Old Testament tells us, because grace and mercy are with his holy ones, and his care is with his elect. That he truly does care for us, love us, guide us, is, you know, is drawing something out of the struggle to transform us or to be offered up for others, that we have some work to perform to further his kingdom. That isn't absolutely necessary. If I fail, doesn't mean the kingdom falls apart. But we're offered that privilege to share in the cross of Christ. You know, we're offered that opportunity to do something for his kingdom. Last night, I was at a parish and uh, they had asked us, asked me to come give a talk on the network and Mother Angelica. And it was older women <clears throat> and I was giving the talk and they just, they love the story of Mother Angelica. They love hearing things she said and that message, the power of redemptive suffering and depending on God, trusting in Him. And it struck me how they responded, you know, just to this witness that Mother Angelica was and how she lived and the fruitfulness, you know, that God drew from her life. And, you know, to want to give something back to God for what He's done for us, to take on something, you know, to give it all you got, right? <laughs> to really invest ourselves in the Lord to believe in him and to serve him. That makes the devil envious. You know, because we have that opportunity to suffer and love him in this world and to offer something up for him. 